Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. What we are doing is going through the Bible together over a three-year period. So this is your first day. Good news. We're already a year in, um, but we are just going through God's Word, and we are finding as we explore God's Word that all of it, all of it is good for preaching. All of it is good for instruction, and, and most importantly, all of it points to Jesus. All of it points to Jesus, and so as we go through Scripture together, we're going through in a chronological fashion. And so Jonah, though he's at the end of the Old Testament, that's where his book is located, he actually comes in, uh, he's, his little four chapters of his story come in right here and where we find ourselves in Second Kings. So uh, I don't think it's next week, I think it's the week after we find ourselves back in Second Kings, okay? But so we're just going a little bit forward today into Jonah. Everybody... This story of Jonah is really, really popular. Everybody knows the story of Jonah and the whale, or at least some part of the story. Jonah, and it's the Bible actually doesn't say whale; it says great fish. But let's just let's just say whale for the rest of the day, okay? Because that's what we're all thinking anyway. We're not thinking like a, a porpoise or something, right? We're thinking about a huge fish swallowing Jonah. And it's hard to imagine anything other than a whale swallowing him. Jonah was an Israelite and a prophet of God. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, that prophets uh, were anointed by God to speak um, his word to his people and to the surrounding nations. And Jonah was, he's, made, he's, not really, he's known for kind of being a prophet, but what he's really known for is his disobedience about saying, where God's sending him, he's saying no. And of course, this is how the whale comes in or the great fish and uh, you know, we hear this story in Sunday school, and I'm sure in, in kids' church today, they're going to have like a flannel or a picture of, of this, and we know this story if we've been in church at all as a kid. Um, even in Catholic school, we learned about Jonah and the whale. I mean, everybody learns about Jonah, right? And so uh, the, the whale comes and swallows him, and, and uh, it's just a funny little story. And I remember when we were kids' pastors, because uh, we were kids' pastors for a long time, we would... Uh, make get this huge tarp and uh, we would make this big tent thing and blow it up with a fan and then we would put the kids in there and then we would have misters on the fan and just like what it was like to be in the belly of the whale I, I you know I love to fish and uh, I clean my own fish of course and let me tell you it does not seem fun. That's the one thing we never really included in the belly of the whale illustration was the smell. It could not be good, right? Uh, it could not be very pleasant because when you cut a fish open, it does not smell good. I can't imagine being in a fish would also probably not be so good. But uh, this is one of those accounts that we talked about earlier that just seems impossible. You know, we read this story about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, not being dissolved by its stomach acids, and then for three days uh, lives and breathes inside this fish and then is miraculously spit out on a beach somewhere. Now, I agree with you. This seems impossible, but Jesus affirms the story of Jonah when he talks in um, in Luke about it being a, a prophetic, it was not an illustration, but a prophetic 
uh, occurrence that happened before him, saying he is going to be like Jonah. It says in Luke eleven twenty nine, the crowds were increasing. He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. How many of you know Jonah was sent to an evil city, Nineveh, uh, to, to proclaim God's word? And, and here Jesus is saying, this generation is an evil generation, and it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Of course, Jesus is talking about going into the tomb and coming out three days later. And as, as impossible as the situation of Jonah seems, in light of all the miracles Jesus did, it doesn't seem that impossible. In light of God speaking the world into existence, it doesn't seem that impossible. And even if you still, in your, your logical brain, cannot figure this out, you can't reconcile this, let me tell you that the story of Jonah is not so much a story about a fish or a man as it is a story about God. And it reveals to us the heart and the character of God, and that's what we're going to focus on today. I want to tell you, though, I believe Scripture. I believe the Word of God. I believe He is the God of the impossible, that he ordered, if He can speak creation into existence, then He can certainly do everything He said in the book of Jonah, that He can raise the dead, that he can heal the sick, that he can give the blind sight. I believe all of these things because I believe the word of God. Amen. And today, uh, we're going to study three things, three, three attributes of God's character uh, from the book of Jonah. Number one, we're going to study that God pursues sinners, that God is merciful, number two, and that number three, God is patient. That God is patient. So we're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we're just going to pray and ask God to open our hearts and open our minds uh, as we get into the Word today. And, and His Holy Spirit would just reveal to us His truth for each one of us today. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to come and dive into Your Word together. Lord, we love Your Word because it reveals who you are. We would know nothing about who you are if it was not for your word, for your, your, your letters, your word to the church, revealing your character and your power and your glory. We thank you for it, God. We pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in verse 1, we're going to do verse 4, and then we're going to skip to verse 17. Follow along with me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now we're going to skip to verse 17 in just a second, but let me just sum up what happens between here. The, the men of the ship start freaking out, the sailors, right? There is a huge tempest in the sea. They, are start, they start wondering who is causing this calamity to come upon them. And it comes down to Jonah. They figure out it's Jonah. And they're like, what should we do? And Jonah's like, throw me into the sea. 
And now they know that God is angry because Jonah's on this ship and he's telling them to throw him into the sea. And so he, they're like, ah, I don't think so. So they try something else. And eventually they figure out, nope, they've got to do exactly what jo- Jonah has said. They throw Jonah into the water. And then we come to verse 17. And then the, then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah is disobeying God. Now, why does he want to go to Nineveh? Because Nineveh is an evil city. And Jonah is like, they don't deserve the word of the Lord. They don't deserve to hear it. They don't deserve the opportunity to repent. Judge them. That's what, that's what Jonah wants. And I see a lot of Jonah in myself. I see, you know, as Christians... At some point, we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We, re- we receive the mercy and the grace of God, though it's undeserved. We receive it. And after a while of walking with Jesus, we can get this mentality where we think we're better than the, the people around us. We think we're better than all our coworkers. We've started putting ourselves above our coworkers, above the people we see around us. And, and it, we're just like, hey, I'm so thankful I'm not like that dude or I'm not like her, right? I'm so thankful that I'm not like that you know, and maybe we even forget any more part, right? We just think that we've always been better than them. And here's Jonah. He thinks he's definitely better than the people of Nineveh. He's an Israelite. He's a prophet. He's chosen by God, and he doesn't want to go because he's afraid they're going to repent. He's afraid that God might actually show them mercy, that God might actually forgive them. It's hard We might say we forgive people. We may say that we're walking in forgiveness of people who have hurt us. But sometimes secretly, deep down, we still want them to get their comeuppance. We still want them to get what's coming to them. And we don't want them to experience mercy and grace. Aren't you glad that we are not God? And uh, I am so thankful for his mercy and for his grace. Because Jonah's reaction to the call of God proves that exactly like the Ninevites, he is a rebellious sinner, doesn't it? I mean, here he says, he says to the, the people on the boat, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite, I'm a prophet of God, but here he is walking in willful disobedience to what God is saying to him to do, which is to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, all right, or preach, preach repentance, to say, proclaim judgment. That's not an easy assignment, you know, those of you who were up here in the front today for the apologetics class and the, the challenge that goes forth, aren't you glad that God doesn't just go and tell you to go walk the hallways uh, of Stuttgart High saying, you know, God's judgment is coming upon this place. Repent and turn from your wicked ways or he will totes destroy you. <laughs> See what I did in there? Aren't you glad that God isn't calling you to do that? Here, this is Jonah's assignment. This is the assignment of most of the Old Testament prophets. They're proclaiming God's imminent judgment. And surely that has to be part of the gospel message. When we share Jesus, we tend to really pour it on thick when it comes to mercy and grace. And we, sh- we should. But if people are not convicted of their sin... If, they're not, if they don't understand that they're sinners who need grace, then grace means nothing, right? Grace means nothing to those who don't need it because they, they're, they're consumed in their own righteousness. And so when we offer grace without, without the 
law, when we, when we fail to tell people the reason they need the grace of God is because they have disobeyed God's law and he will judge them according to their sin, then that's only when the message of grace makes any sense. Because those who are, are all right with God don't need grace, right? Isn't that maybe what Jesus was saying when he said it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick? Because, you know, if you're well, you're not going to go to the doctor. It's only when you understand that there's a sickness in you that needs healing that you're going to go to the doctor. So this is the assignment of Jonah, and he's being very disobedient. He's walking in open rebellion. And I want to tell you that every Christian will one day encounter something sooner or later in God's word that's going to cause them to run rather than obey. There's going to be something in God's word that's going to challenge you to the point where you're going to retreat from your walk with Jesus. You know, we like to think we're not like the rich young man in the New Testament who said to Jesus, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, you lack one thing, go sell everything you own and give, you, give it to the poor. And this was a man of great wealth. There was something he could follow Jesus in every other way except this. Except this. There was a challenge that came that caused him to pull back. A little bit. Church, I want to tell you that every one of you will experience this a challenging word from God that goes against something you hold very dear. And it's 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 gonna be a challenge for you to obey. You're gonna feel like running. And you may run. You might get swallowed by a whale. God's love for you is like his love for Jonah. He will not leave you to wallow in your disobedience. He will not leave you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your setting, your, your, the process of sanctification is you being more and more set apart for kingdom-minded things, right? You are to live separate from the world, no longer influenced by the world, but influencers in the world. And this sanctification is very, very important to God. He's not going to leave you, just save you and put you in a seat for 40 years until he comes back or you die, right? That's what, that's what Christianity is to a lot of people. It's like, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now my job is to go to church and work in the nursery once every other month until Jesus comes back or I die. That's not the truth. We're to be growing, surrendering more and more of our lives every single day to the power of Jesus Christ. He will not leave us in our disobedience. The biggest thing we ought to fear is not the tempest. It's not the raging sea. It's the calm sea. Because we learned last week that those who are doing great things for the kingdom are going to face the greatest opposition. Those who have been lulled to sleep by the wiles of the enemy, they can expect calm seas. They can expect things to go smoothly for them. But those who are really doing the work of ministry, they should be worried if the sea is calm, right? Maybe we're missing God somewhere. And God here has sent the tempest to correct Jonah. He sent it to bring correction to his course. He, he thinks he's going somewhere else. Of course, God is going to see it through. And I want to tell you that in my life, there has been situations where, you know, I maybe did not walk in direct disobedience to what God was saying, but I was definitely trying to put it off a little bit. 
And God has a way of bringing us around full circle. He has a way of seeing that his will is accomplished through us. God pursues sinners. He pursues sinners. Aren't you glad that God pursued you? When I became a Christian some 25 years ago, 20-some years ago anyway, almost coming up on 25 years ago, once I got saved, once I entered into a walk with Jesus, I realized for like the first time my eyes were open to all the opportunities I had growing up to accept Jesus. The people God had put in my path, uh, but my eyes weren't really open to it at the time. You know what I mean? Like I was, I had Christian friends, uh, but I always uh, distanced myself from their faith. I had a I had a Christian girlfriend in high school for a long time, and just I went to church because her parents said, if you want to date my daughter, you have to go to church, right? And so, okay, I did, but I didn't, you know, I had an opportunity there. And then for a year and a half, I, I or three years, I pushed away the man who would eventually lead me to Christ. I had lots of opportunities to accept Christ, but I, every time I would push away, but God never stopped pursuing me. He never gave up on me. And those people, that especially Tim, the guy who led me to the Lord eventually, after three years of witnessing to me my entire time working with him in the Air Force before I transferred to another area, he, he witnessed to me and shared the gospel with me and loved me even after I cussed him out, even after I pushed him away as far as I possibly could because I'm like, Christians hate cussing, so I'll just start cussing at him all the time and that'll keep him white. No, he'd keep coming back. I'm so grateful he kept pursuing relationship with me. And eventually I came to know Christ and I went to the people that who went and shared Jesus with me, not the ex-girlfriend, but her parents, and you know, said, hey, I want to thank you for sharing Jesus with me. I want you to know I become a Christian. I've, I've accepted Jesus. And um, I'm just so thankful God still pursues. And I know today that you may have family members who don't know Jesus. You may have people you love dearly who don't know Jesus. And you want, you want them to come and know that relationship that you have, that freedom, that joy that you have in Christ. And they've been reluctant. Ne- don't stop. Don't stop pursuing them because God's not done with them. And, and uh, keep praying for them. Keep trusting God that the Lord is going to touch their heart and they're going to come full circle. So the first point is God pursues sinners. The second point is God is merciful. Go with me to Jonah 2 and 10. And we're going to go through Jonah 3, 5 and then skip down again to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, giving him a second chance, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. That's that's huge. Verse 4, Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey, and called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believe God. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believe God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Verse 5 is very, very important. The people of Nineveh believe God. 
They trusted the message of Jonah, and they turned away. And this was an exceedingly great city. It was also an exceedingly wicked city, a city that many of us would give up on, right, as far as morals go, as far as living for God, as far as the freedom of the, of the word being preached there. Like, we would, we would have given up on Nineveh a long, long time ago, but God did not give up on Nineveh. And Jonah's worst fear becomes a reality, they turn from their wicked ways, they repent, they put on sackcloth, a sign of mourning, mourning their sin, mourning their disobedience, and they turn towards God. And God shows them mercy because God is merciful. And we, those of us who have for many, many years received a moralistic gospel, a gospel that God just wants you to do better, God just wants you to try harder, this message of the gospel is a distorted view of what the gospel is, because that's not the gospel. Sanctification is part of our walk with Jesus, but this idea that we must earn God's love, and the harder we try, the more we'll be loved, that is a fallacy. As a matter of fact, that's something we bring from our nature into our relationship with God, because maybe some of you had parents like this, right? Maybe some of you had siblings like this, or maybe some of you are married to a person like this, whose love is conditional based on your performance. But that's not how God's love works. That's not how his mercy works. Mercy is the unmerited favor of God. You cannot earn it. The gospel summed up is this. Our, son, our sin is greater than we could ever imagine, but God's love for us is more than we could have ever hoped for. This is the gospel. Our sin is great. His mercy is greater. And I want to tell you that he desires mercy, not judgment. Now, judgment will happen, but he desires mercy. He, he desires that every single person in this room, every single person in this city, every single person on this base, every single person in your command, every single person in your wing, every person in your J-whatever comes to know Jesus Christ because he wants you to have mer he wants them to experience mercy. He wants them to be in relationship with him for eternity. He desires mercy. But Jonah gets in the way. It's his disobedience that gets in the way. He doesn't want them to receive mercy. But here's the thing. Jonah, even though he was disobedient, even though he was running away from God, he was running away from what God had said to him, God still used him. Don't miss this, okay? Because a lot of you are waiting for this, this, this moment in your life where you're going to be saved enough that you can actually do something significant for God. And here's Jonah, a prophet. Now, there wasn't a lot of prophets. There wasn't a lot of people filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Here's Jonah, a prophet of God, filled with the Spirit, called to go preach, and he runs away, and God just captures him again and gives him a second chance. I want to tell you that God is not concerned with your as concerned with your whiteness, your cleanliness as you are. He wants you to walk in obedience. But his mercy, his grace is huge. And any of us who ever think that if we can just attain the level to which we need to be at where God can use us is, is fooling yourselves. Because holiness only comes from what Jesus can do. 
His holiness, his righteousness is what qualifies us for ministry. Somebody say amen. And so if you're waiting just to become this perfect person before God can use you, it's not going to happen. Your pastor's not perfect. Your pastor's pastor's not perfect. Jesus is perfect, and he's the only one who's perfect. And on the cross, he took our sin. He gave us his righteousness, and that alone is what qualifies us for ministry. And Jonah's disobedience by no means disqualified him. God was still going to use Jonah. Now, God hates our sin. He hates sin, but yes, he also loves to forgive. He delights to show mercy to those who truly need it. He says this in Ephesians, God being rich in mercy, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we are made alive together by Christ, by grace you have been saved. It is by his grace, it is by his mercy that we are saved. He hates sin, that's true. He hates it so much that he sent Jesus to the cross. That's how much he hates sin, that he himself bore the weight of it so that he, in perfect justification, extend us mercy. That's awesome. The wrath of God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's not that he relented from his wrath. His wrath was poured out on Jesus, who bore the weight of all of our sins. This is, you know, these are some deeper theological things. The justification of Jesus on the cross, the justification of our sin. God was relentlessly, will relentlessly extend mercy to give us more and more chances. And by the work of his Holy Spirit, through his mercy and grace, we'll be transformed. Amen? He is working in us. He is showing us mercy. And all of this, you know, is because of his patience. His mercy, I, I just think of just his mercy, but then I also think of just the everlasting patience of God. Seriously, I am not a patient person at all. Like, I show you, I, if I'm training you, and, you know, Jordan can probably testify to this, if I'm showing you how to do something, and I've shown you, and then you don't get it right the very next time, I'm exhausted. I know that's wrong. Like, I totally know that's wrong. I know that's not right, you know, but that's just like, those of you who have kids, oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart, you know. It's just like, you know, I showed you how to load the dishwasher. You're four you should understand this. Like, I wouldn't, I would not, I don't have that. I, this is something I, when I say I don't have it, doesn't mean I'm not working on it. It's something I need to grow in, that's for sure. But God is totally not like that. He is so patient with you and so patient with me because he has extended us mercy in Christ, but every day we sin, every day we fall short. He's patient with us. We know better. We know better. We're, we're, we're grown we know better, and we still disobey. He is so patient with us. Jonah, in verse 4 here, I mean, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, and then down to verse 8, we see that Jonah is not happy with what God has done. He is not as patient as God. Verse 1 says this, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah was ticked off that people got saved. <laughs> How jacked up do you have to be for people to experience God's mercy and grace, and you're upset about it? You're, you're mad at, at, at God? Go down with me to verse 8. 
And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Jonah here is a little drama queen. He says, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, which you did not make it grow, and it came into being in the night and perished in a night. Verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? What is, what is this? This verse is talking about how Jonah retreated away, and then a plant grew up over him to give him shade, and then God sent a worm to destroy the plant. He's telling Jonah, look, I am in control. I sent the wind. I sent the sun. I made the plant grow. I sent the worm. Who do you think you are? And here's Jonah. I wish that I would die. I mean, seriously, man. It's not that bad. But his anger just displays a heart that is out of sync with God, doesn't it? When our hearts are out of sync with God's heart, we often become angry, we become bitter, we become depressed. Because we're out of sync with what God is doing. And these emotions, these things that can, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to feel them, but when these things are controlling our behavior, our anger is controlling our behavior, right? Our depression is controlling our behavior. Our bitterness is controlling our behavior. We've got issues. And, and uh, many times this is a result of a heart being out of sync with God especially in Jonah's situation. How can you be upset when an entire city of 120,000 people with a lot of cattle? I don't know why that's thrown in there at the end. With all this cattle and all these people, shouldn't God spare them? Jonah's upset. He's upset. Jonah's like one of those people... And God's blessing the church, and the church is growing, and they're getting ready to go to two services. Jonah's that guy who's like, well, I just won't know anybody anymore. You know? Or he's in a great growth group, and my, the growth group's got to gotta multiply because it's too big. Oh, I'm, all my friends. God is doing something great. God is doing something awesome. And Jonah's thinking about himself. He's not kingdom-minded. He's Jonah-minded. And we, this is how it gets in the church, man. I've been doing this a long, long time. We change the carpet. Well, it just doesn't match the drapes anymore. It doesn't, the, 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 the carpet doesn't match the seats. We move the pulpit over three inches, and now there's a pillar in the way. You know, whatever it is, people complain, and they whine, and it's because their heart is out of sync with what God's doing. Let's rejoice, right? Instead of being worried, for example, just out of nowhere, Okay, the two service thing, right? We're going to two services and it means more volunteering. It means more working. It means more get putting our hands to the plow and doing the work of the ministry instead of focusing on how it's going to inconvenience us. Could we focus on for a minute what God's going to do through that work? Could we focus on what God is going to do, that God's going to reach our city? Somebody say amen. That God's going to open up seats, doors, and uh, 
parking places for people who want to hear the word of God. How many of you believe they're going to hear the word of God here? They're going to hear the word and they're going to be transformed by it. Not by the preaching, not by the coffee, but by the word of God. Right? Some of you are laughing because the coffee does transform you. We get focused on the wrong things. We need to get our heart line kingdom-minded, what God is doing. And God exposes the misalignment of our priorities with his own through his loving discipline. How, how does God align our hearts through discipline? Through discipline. Now, we can submit ourselves to the Lord's discipline, or we can kick against it. I want to tell you that, no, God wins. God's going to win right? You can kick against it. You can do things the hard way, right? Or you can do things God's way. Get on board with what God is doing. Hebrews says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. Somebody say amen. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Nobody likes discipline. It seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that why you discipline your kids, parents? So that you can enjoy the peaceful fruit when they move out. <laughs> right? Isn't that why you, but seriously, you're raising up children, you're raising up little people. That they would become fruitful members of society, hopefully save Christian, born-again Christian members of society. Right? And that you can enjoy grandchildren someday, that you can enjoy them growing up, right? You don't want to be picking up after them forever. But discipline at the time is painful, but it's for your good. It's for your good. And we never grow out of this. You know, if you're a teenager in the room today, you might, you might be saying amen to discipline being painful. Maybe you're grounded even right now from something or someone, and it's painful, and it's hard, but I want to tell you, your parents love you, and they're, they're, they're not just there to make sure that you're happy. Their happiness is not their number one. Your happiness is not their number one priority. Your character is. They're developing your character, and that's what God is doing in your parents as well, right? He's constantly working on our character. He's not as concerned with our comfort as he is with our character. You've heard me say that many, many times. God will use all necessary means. He will use the sea. He will use the wind. He will use the whale. He will use the plant. And he will use the sun. And he will use the worm. He will use everything at his disposal, which, by the way, is everything, to align our heart with his heart. He will use every method he has. But he is patient in it. He is patient in it. I'm just going to wrap up. And in conclusion, we see Jonah, is equal, he is equally rebellious. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, know that we are rebellious in our hearts as well, that we must constantly fight that rebellion, the same as the people that we're trying to reach. The church becomes totally ineffective when we start putting ourselves above the people that we're trying to serve. When we say to ourselves, we're here, it's, it's awesome, you know, we're, we're the church, it's 
awesome to be part of the church and we don't really care about what's happening out there, that's when we, we won't be a church anymore. Because God's blessing is going to not be on us. We're not going to be growing anymore. We're going to be dying because we've become so inwardly focused. I want to tell you that as long as Stacy and I are pastoring the church, this is never going to happen. Our goal is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our world starts right outside these doors, but it doesn't stop outside our city. It continues to go outward. And though each one of us cannot go to the far corners of the earth just yet, we can send people who are. And that's why it is so essential to who we are that we keep that as the primary focus. That's why we have over 25 missionaries. That's why a, a, a huge chunk of our budget goes to missions, right? That's why we are constantly strategizing how can we reach our community, right? Because we don't want to be just inward focused. We want to be outward focused because God has called each of us to go outward. We are Jonah, in this story, we're Jonah. We're the disobedient prophet who's been sent to the place we really don't want to go with a message that's not easy to say. We're Jonah. And maybe we've come up with a million excuses to pass off our responsibility. Well, I'm just not there yet in my walk with Jesus. That might be one excuse. The other excuse might be, well, you know, the government doesn't really let me pro you know, share the gospel. That may be one excuse, Right? It's just, I'm an introvert. That could be your excuse. Let me tell you, my wife's an introvert. She still shares Jesus with people. That's important. You just don't have to do it with a huge crowd, right? You can do it with one or two people. Be introverted, but be loving Jesus. Be sharing Jesus, right? We are the people of God who have been charged to carry the message of Jesus Christ across borders, I mean, just think of the distinct privilege we have to be in another nation. God has sent you here. You are here for this reason, to go into foreign territories, to go into foreign cultures, to go into places with different languages, with a message that God is, loves the world. He loves the sinner. And he has made a way for every single sinner to escape his righteous judgment through Jesus Christ. And now is the time to repent from our sin and turn and believe in Jesus Christ, the one whom he sent. Amen. That's the message, church. We are Stuttgart Missional Community Church. Several years ago, we were known as Stuttgart Military Community Church. And we changed the name. The primary reason was for operational security reasons, so that people, like the church name would not identify us as a military church, which we are, largely are. But I actually think the name change fits us better anyway. Stuttgart Missional Community Church is who we are. We are a people who take it as our mission, each and every one of us, to carry this message to the far corners of the earth. And it starts with where he's planted you. You cannot be a blessing where you're not, only where you are. Where's your, where is your sphere of influence? Is it the cubicle? Is it the mops group? Is it the soccer team? What is it? What is it? Where is God wanting to use you? What message has he given you? Have you, like Jonah, run away from his calling in your life? Have you run away from your responsibility? It's a question we all have to ask. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.